Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. Well, it's that wonderful time again where there is so much soccer going on. You can get up at 6am and then you're entertained until the evening with the European Championships and, of course, Copa America. And we're looking at Olympics coming up. And the reason for the focus in today's podcast and talking about absolutes is because when you watch these games, when you watch these tournaments, and actually when you probably watch almost any other sport, they're not really any absolutes. So when you look at soccer, they're, of course, absolutes, score more, oppo- more goals than your opponent and you win the game and play within the rules or face the consequences. But in actually playing the game and how to play the game, there are no absolutes. So at the end of the European Championships, and probably in the Cup of America too, the hosting organization, so UEFA in this instance for the Euros or FIFA for the World Cup, will release a technical report. And I love those technical reports because they talk about trends, common formations or how teams lined up specifically in certain games or where most goals were scored from or perhaps the issues around discipline. But it's a technical report. What it doesn't talk about is how the goal was scored. Talk about where it came from with things like set pieces, but they don't talk about how. So if it was scored with the laces or with the toes, and we'll get a breakdown for headers versus goals from open play with the feet, but there's no specifics on if somebody backheels the ball or if somebody passes it into the net or if they slam it home with the knuckle of the big toe. There are no absolutes. I was at a soccer camp for the last few weeks up in uh, Grey Eagle, California, two rivers up in the mountains. And we have talked about how to deliver the best curriculum that we can for the players. And my approach and what I'm talking about here with absolutes is that we don't really need to work on a passing day or a shooting day or a dribbling day but actually working on different themes of teaching the game and then working through the technical demands from that. So the example is one of the days, the key word of the day, instead of the focus being passing or dribbling, the key word for the day was creativity. So the opening intro with the players was, how can you be creative? What players do you know that are creative? What do you think would be fun to be creative doing in a game? So some of the kids talked about a Rabona or even doing a rainbow skill over somebody's head. It's brilliant. That's the creativity that we want from our players, whether they execute it or not, but they're thinking about being creative with the ball. So we're not saying passing, because if I said, can you be creative with your passing, they may think about how they might poke it or use the outside of their foot and curl it or what have you, but creativity about them having the ball with their feet. So then one of my questions around creativity was, can you be creative with your toes? Most players said, no, you can't use your toes in soccer. If you're familiar with the no to the toe or tozos off of bozos, all sorts of kind of funny, slangy comments about players using their toes. When in actuality, if the ball is just out of reach, you're going to reach and you're going to use your toes. So there is an absolute that we probably falsely tell our players. Is it ideal to use your toes to bang the ball down the field? Absolutely not, because you can do it better in a couple of different ways. But does it work? 
Yeah, it probably does work. Should you take a penalty with your toes? Probably not. Would it work? Yeah, I think so. And it may move a lot and it may be pretty unpredictable. It'd probably be pretty hard too. So when we tell kids no, we're removing all sorts of creative options. There are no absolutes. Yes, you can use your toes, but it might not give us the best option. Now, if you read my book, 1v1s Outside the Box, there's a lot of focus in there around the game being the teacher. I don't really talk about technical training for players or teaching them how to execute moves or things that they can do to win a 1v1 or to win a 1v1 in a small-sided game. A lot of it is about introducing the rules of the game. We're introducing the nuances to the players for how they can have success. What it means when a player plays a short pass versus players playing a long pass or what it means to defend narrow or defend wide. So we're teaching the nuances of how to play the game. Importantly, the small-sided games that we put into place, whether that is at soccer camp there where we're working on creativity or whether you're working with your team and using small-sided games to work on an aspect of your game model, it's ultimately about teaching the players to make decisions. Decisions being, should I pass to that player that's close to me? Can I pass to somebody who's a little further away? Should I dribble here? How can I be creative? Or one of the other key words for the camp was unpredictable on Monday of soccer camp. Can you be unpredictable? I'm really throwing these kids through a loop of giving them the freedom to go and play. How were you unpredictable today? Not necessarily how did you pass the ball or how did you dribble, but how were you unpredictable? You're unpredictable because you dribbled when you could have passed. Now we're encouraging these players to make decisions. But then only then I think that we can really get into the technical aspect because you can pass a ball in so many ways. You can try and make a pass to a player who is five yards away and how you get them the ball probably doesn't make that much of a difference unless you're under immense pressure or you need to lead them into space and make a bigger pass or you need to disguise that pass. But the technique of actually getting the ball from one player to another and thinking about how a traditional soccer practice looks like with two kids standing 10 yards apart and poking the ball to each other, that's where we would typically see a coach say, okay, standing foot next to the ball, bring your foot back inside of the foot, punch the middle of the ball to keep the ball on the ground, the ball goes to your partner. But if we're doing it a small-sided game, now we've suddenly got the pressures of a player that's around us. So now we've got to work out how to get past the defender whilst also achieving the outcome or the desired outcome of the game, which is to try and score a goal, whether that's an end zone or a small-sided goal. So then how... Am I going to get the ball to my teammate that's going to help us as a team or help them as an individual to score a goal? And that's where I think it becomes super subjective. There are correct ways, correct parentheses ways to pass the ball with the inside of the foot because it's a nice solid contact and it's going to get the ball to our teammate. But if I'm just poking the ball to them with my toes or if I roll it with the bottom of my foot or if I use the outside of my foot to disguise it, is that wrong? Do you think it's wrong? I don't think so. I think that the player has learned to make a decision based on the environment that we've created for them, 
They have to understand why they need to get the ball to their teammate or why it's important for the ball to go in front of them or behind them or to a certain foot or for it to be shorter to bring them into the game. They have to understand all of that. And then from that, they need to use the skills that they have or the skills that we're working on to execute. So I want to say to a player, you need to play this game it's a 4v4 there are wide goals so it's a four goal game two goals for us to score in that are in the corners two goals for the other team to score in in the corners if I'm in the middle of the field and I need to put the ball wide for a player to run onto to break pressure and to score a goal how am I going to get the ball there I understand that I need to do it so now I need to understand why I'm doing it because it's going to help me break pressure create a chance and it's always going to be based on why because I may need to drive the ball I may need to trickle the ball and use it to move players or manipulate the game in some way but there's no absolute so when you're thinking about what your next training session is going to be when you're thinking about what the next soccer camp day focus is going to be or the next time you train some of your players together Think about using the game as the teacher and then within that, working on the technical aspects as players need it. Player tries to play a long ball and they fluff it or they scuff it or it's not hard enough. Then we can talk about an ideal way of striking the ball over there. So what about the flip idea that you maybe need to learn these technical aspects to then be able to understand how you might use them or when you might use them in a game. So the theory may go that we need to learn to pass in all different varieties so that then I can draw on my own experience and my own skills to execute the problem that's in front of me. And I do understand why you may do that. But in my mind and the way I understand this and the way I think that it works best for players is for them to experience it and then to problem solve. If you've listened to me for a while, you'll know that I don't think we do our players enough justice by giving them enough challenge or enough game situation to help them begin to draw on experience and to learn from experience. I think that too much of our practices are coach-led. It is coach saying we do this technical practice, we do this technical practice, we do this small-sided game, and then if I think you've done a good job, then you'll get to play a scrimmage at the end. But Everything that we did in the build-up to that scrimmage was all about me, so I'm going to let you go and play a scrimmage without really referencing what we were just working on or setting up a scrimmage in a way that's going to help you guys work on what we actually were just spending the last hour working on. So then we're going to take a a reverse on that when our next soccer practice and instead set it up in a small-sided game where you are trying to achieve something that you've perhaps struggled with previously or an aspect of your game model that you want to develop. Then take that into a small-sided game and work on, again, the same idea that if we have these two wide goals because we need to work on breaking pressure and using the width because we play with a five in the middle perhaps. Now the game setup is going to challenge our players to play within the game model, to use the width because we don't use it enough in a game if that's what you've assessed. Now my technical training will come in underneath that when I talk to the central midfielder and say to her, you need to play the ball out there when the player is open based on our model, based on the way we've all agreed that we're going to play. So how are you going to do that? 
how can you get the ball out there? What does that look like? And it comes from the support that they offer to the player on the ball before they get it. It comes to the first touch, if they have time for a first touch or a second touch or a third touch or engaging a defender so that the opponent isn't already shifting to the other side. As you'll see in a lot of youth soccer, we talk about switch and by the time the ball is switched, the opponent is already on that side of the field anyway because they all know what's going on. So how can we make this happen? And then we get into the player working on technical striking of the ball or disguising passes. The really good thing about that approach to me is that now I say to the player, okay, it's Tuesday. We have training again on Thursday or even tomorrow night. Today, especially today now, you're on summer vacation. Go and practice. And then tell me what you did that's going to help you strike the ball to the player on the wing. Or I may say to the player, here are some ideas that I want you to go and work on. Maybe you put a cone 30 yards away and somebody plays you the ball or you do a little bit of skill, get the ball out your feet and then try and strike the cone from distance. So now you're working on distributing the ball after taking a skill. So something we've identified in our practice is really important for that player. And then when they come again on Thursday, we follow the development plan. We follow a very similar structure for our session. It may even be the same session plan, 4v4 to wide goals. You may even extend to 6v6 or 5v5. You may even go smaller to 3v3, however you want to do it. But it's the same environment for that player to come in and work on. So they've gone home. They've performed their own training at home, especially if you've engaged with them, if you've challenged them, if you ask them for video evidence or to tag you on Instagram and say, look at what I've been working on, coach, and then see if they can do it again in the game. Now we've got our players working within the game, training within the game, and then going away and thinking about the game and training themselves to be able to perform those key roles that they're not otherwise working on in an environment where we just do small-sided games. And I think that is often the pushback that I get when I talk about using games is the fear that we're not necessarily teaching our players these technical skills. But if you follow a similar pattern to what I just did there, now it takes a little bit of work and it may look a little bit more chaotic in practice because you may feel like you're not strictly setting your players up for success. But if we're looking at development of a player over one or two or three weeks, now we're challenging them to develop themselves. We have a say on what they're doing. If you want to have a say and if you want to give them training ideas for themselves, and then you're able to measure them over the next couple of weeks of training. That to me is a development environment because we're not worried about the result at the weekend. Not once have we said, if you do this, we'll be able to win at the weekend. We'll use the games at the weekend or the tournament that's coming up to be able to measure the player's success. How successful were you at getting the ball out to the wings or dribbling or whatever the, the individual technical aspect is that the demand is for their position and their profile within the game model. But really using this whole period of time to take developmental steps and not just immediately say you're the central midfielder you need to be able to ping the ball so here's what we're going to work on for the next 30 minutes because just like the 1v1 book I talk about the concept of using 1v1s to train players typical 1v1 is a face-up 1v1 I'll play you the ball I'll come and try and get the ball from you you'll score in my goal or if I win it I'll score in your goal but not every player faces that 1v1 in a game. A goalkeeper doesn't face that 1v1 in a game, but you probably have them playing in that position in a 1v1. 
then look at your central midfielder. Do you really want your number six holding midfielder from, do you really want them dribbling and beating a player 1v1 when they may be your anchor to a midfield three or a midfield five, or maybe they're the bottom of a midfield diamonds? So now thinking about relative training for your players, suddenly, just like this, the players are learning their own technical demands within the small-sided games, within the game environment, to then go and perform in the game at the weekend. And I think that's really, really important for us when we consider that there really aren't absolutes. We can really focus on developing our players to be able to play the game, to be able to be flexible, to be able to get the ball away from pressure or to break pressure in a hundred different ways. When we use focal points on a soccer camp or even for a periodization period of training this cycle is creativity this cycle is being unpredictable and then within that we can begin to develop and i think that way we don't pigeonhole players into absolutes we don't pigeonhole players into absolutely do not dribble the ball here absolutely do not pass with your toes absolutely do not do this do not do that and i think we'll then develop confident players who are brave courageous they want to go and play the game they want to try things for your youth soccer team it may mean that your central defender may make a mistake because they're trying to play the ball with the outside of their foot and they haven't quite finished that execution but we're going to encourage them to keep doing that we're going to encourage them to go and do it more we're going to encourage them to get better at it as opposed to saying you can't do that don't worry about it we're going to say i dare you to do it i dare you to go and do it there are no absolutes we use the game we use our game model and we develop our players. So thank you as always for listening. I want to know what you think. Do you think there are absolutes? Do you think that it's necessary to go the kind of flip way that I talked about briefly in terms of teach the techniques to then be able to play the game? I want to know what you think because of course this is my opinion, this is the way I train players, but have an open mind and I want to know what you think. So please share this with anybody who you've probably had this same conversation with and tell me what you think. Tell me at Lee Dunsocker, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, find me, let me know. I'll hear from you soon.